What up, folks? Welcome to the Heads Podcast, uh, episode 184. Yeah, you see the palms right here. That's like that. That's telling you I can grip a football without the gloves. Right? Mm. I can probably come down and, and be the quarterback mm. for the Eagles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, no. fellas, man, it's been a, it's been quite the week. Checking in with y'all, Charles. Man, how you doing? You first up. It's been a long one, bro. It's been a long week, long month. Blessed to be here, though. And uh, you know what I'm saying? Looking forward to the conversation and uh, to these guests that I'm quite fond of. Yeah, that's what's up. Reef, man, again, before you do anything else, talk to us about BMEC November November 17th. Let's go. Yo, November 17th through the 19th, man. We, you know, like it's... We're up to like 25 states. Brother today talks about, yo, I'm from West Virginia. I'm going to be yeah. there. So I think we're like at the 25th or 26th state represented. Um, the goal is to get to about 35. We have about 400 folks registered. So we got we got spots for 100 more. And I just heard that a bunch of middle and high school students are coming through. So I got that may you. take 50 more of those slots. So, you know, I'm really excited about the just the community um, that's continuing to, to thrive in this space. Um, so we're just grateful to be here, man. You know, and I got I you on what you asked for too, Reef. I love our people. Thing. I know you asked me about doing a session for the young folks. So yeah, yeah man, I, we I got, got more you. young folks than than we originally uh, thought. So we we want to make sure we have some um some you know uh, enough youth tracks. Well, let's let's um, talk off. Let's talk off because I want to make I, I'm a beater and I got you. I put I officially uh, made Marquise a director in Oakland a face. So uh, if I and if I need to pay to get him out there, whatever the case is, we can work something out. But um, I'm trying to put him out in front a little bit more. So but we got you either way. Cool. Yeah, that's Good what's stuff. Up. And Ankrum's um, doing the Ankrum's doing the, uh, uh, you know, his own workshop. Plus, we'll be I think we close out um, on Friday, Friday evening. The, you know, uh, we close out the Friday uh, day. Who was we? Friday day. Eight black hands, bro. Eight black hands. Hey, them, them numbers don't look like my request. What Eight I requested. <laughs> <laughs> yo, your rider, your, your rider was rejected. Yo, they, 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 they yeah, they saw your joy. They're like, yo, all this is blue M and M's and and pink uh, Nesquik milkshakes. Nah, they they canceled all that. So hey, and to be real, up. bro, and to be real, man, the feed the piece that I do have that I'm getting paid. If you need to move that. So I can have, uh, you know, Keith Marquise get that opportunity with, you know, his, his flight in his hotel, man. Let me know. I'm good with that, too. Say I want to make sure it ain't taken into your that. budget. Mm. Hmm? You, you, wanna, you said you want to make sure what? Yeah, Charles, it sounds like Charles is trying to give you uh, uh, some in-kind donation. <laughs> I was saying if you want to take the fee that whatever was in the contract and, and, and attribute it to Marquise for his flight and then his, his hotel, we can do that too, because I don't want to cut into y'all's budget or anything like that. Yeah, but wow, I, that's, that's I, really I want him to get that. Really I want him to get that exposure. You know what I'm saying? It's time to put somebody else out front. Well, Charles, you're a whole hell of a lot better than me because I need my ducats. I got GoPros to buy. Hey, uh, so this show, man, uh, is uh, it's about it's, consumerism. No, it's oh, actually okay. not about consumerism. Okay. My bad. My so, bad. Uh, L.A. Uh, City Council. You know, uh, you got uh, Latino Latino folks that that are you know talking and uh, being anti-black, and so I wanted to get uh, Castillo and Omar on this show because one, they are Latino, and two, it's like this is a lot to unpack here, right? Because you know, it, it, imagine what's going on in these rooms that we don't have access to, 
right? And like uh, the amount of anti-blackness that's occurring, right? And that's not just in uh, local government. That's also in these classrooms. That's also with teachers. That's also in these teachers' lounges, right? It's a whole lot of anti-blackness that's occurring. And uh, I thought that it would be good for us to have a conversation with our hermanos, right? So uh, Charles, if you could introduce them, bro, that would be great. Well, let me go ahead and do that. I think first up is 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 uh, Omar. Call him the consummate uh, model. His hair gets blacker every episode on the South Star Classroom. He when he whether he's in, the in award homeland, winning, the award winning, absolutely award winning South Star Classroom. Whether he's whether he's traveling wherever he is across the world and across the globe, man. Uh, Omar and I met from one of our first live shows ever. Um, and that's how we kind of built and we and we created, man. And I, I love Omar, man. So I want to bring up O first, the model. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I we gotta bring, we gotta easy man because I don't want nobody to, you know, to faint for the brother. Uh, what's up, Omar? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 this other person, man. Uh, if you know me, if you know Dirk, you know him. Uh, I've known David. David's more more so known me. Since I was a pup in this work, and people like him, Dirk, uh, Jorge, uh, those were the three cats that kind of brought me in, and they are just super seasoned in Oakland, super seasoned in leading schools, and making sure black kids, brown kids, any kid that's in their school is flourishing. And uh, he usually gets attacked by the 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 unions. He even get attacked by our own side because he actually just puts young people first. Man, I love this brother uh, to death. Um, David Castillo is, is just one of the best leaders that I've ever known and ever met. So, uh, David, I, I, I appreciate you being here, man. And, uh, and Omar, uh, I'll, I'll let, we'll let Omar go first. And then David, just, you know, whatever y'all want to say to the space before we hop in and I throw it back to, to, to Ray. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much, man. Good to see you, Ray. Ray's been on the show a couple of times. It's always live. Ray was telling me backstage that this is going to be a bit more of an unfiltered show. <laughs> so I'm like, I just look at this as a challenge. I'm like, uh-oh. And every time we have an unfiltered show, David Castillo, uh, my hermano in San Diego, is always like, oh, no, man. It's going to be <laughs> one of those crazy-ass shows. We're almost drinking Coke Zero. Turns a little bright red. I'm like, all right, man, I'm into it. I'm into it. But I'm so honored to be part of this podcast. Um, since Charles has uh, led me into the podcasting world and we have decided to join together in arms about all this uh eight black hands is a weekly ritual so mm -hmm. i am very honored to be part of this broadcast gentlemen yeah and, and, we appreciate you being here bro yeah. castillo what's up man hey how's everybody doing thank you for the invite to be here uh it means a lot um definitely uh where was influenced um by the work that you've all done on this podcast to start our own gig the south star classroom i like that award winning we're gonna keep, award keep winning. saying that <laughs> keep saying it keep saying it keep saying it um mm -hmm. but yeah I'm, I'm glad to be here um this is a really important and a rich topic i think we should do this more often kind of do this uh you know cross podcast cross you know background perspective you know when these issues come up and also you know when they don't come up so we can talk about the good things that are happening but you know today should be pretty juicy um do my best to provide contributions and if omar goes off the rails i'll make sure to to reel him back in i try to stay on i try to stay on my lesson plan 
Yeah. Hey, I don't want to reel Omar back in. Hey, uh, yeah, we, got... we, we try to reel uh, Ray Ray in too. So we understand. We understand. <laughs> you know? Hey, c- hey, citizen, man, what, what's happening? Say what's up to the people. They missed you last week. We missed you last week. What's happening, bro? I'm back. I have passed the kidney stones. They are done. So I'm back in action. Oh. Glad to see y'all uh, without the level of pain that I had last week. Uh, yeah, so it's just good to be back. Glad you feel better, bro. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate y'all. Definitely glad you're feeling better, man. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. All right, so fellas, let's jump in, man. So, uh, oh, I guess we'll start with you, bro. Bringing that heat. Do black and brown people have the same issues, man? I mean, this is the whole point of the South Star classroom. This is where, uh, you know, Dr. Cole and I got together and we're like, yo, listen, like, I don't understand how in this world, where black and brown people face extraordinarily similar issues, we decide to just like combat one another and fight it out and get into like dumpster fire fights behind the 7-Eleven and shit. Meanwhile, like, you know, white folks are like, cool. Like you guys have it out. And I think I saw this growing up in the nineties in a really prevalent way, but you know, I'll later on in the show, I'm going to go into the historical context uh, about what this is all about, why this is happening. Uh, for those of you who maybe don't know, uh, and I'm sure you all are going to bring some context, the LA City Council, the president and two other members decided to, for whatever reason, be on record. Uh, I mean, whether it's on record or off record, it's absolutely insane. And say just some of the most deplorable things against the black community in in Los Angeles and the black community period. I think they decided to like racially slur Indians while they were in there. Like they just, (laughs) they just decided to go for like Mm. the buffet of racial epithets and shit, like all up and down. And the thing is like, this is a huge step backwards for not just Latinos in general, because now this is like why white folks are like, see, this is why they can't have nice things. But this is a massive step backwards in the junction between black and brown people to be like, yo, this is why we are consistently failing ourselves because we don't realize that we have so much more to gain by working with one another and aligning our interests, our passions, our time, our goals. Like, look at us on this podcast right now. And instead, these like skip, skip, scally whoops and like, insanely incompetent dumbass people are pitching Latinos in a terrible light and they don't realize because how incredibly selfish and stupid these three people are. You're not just disparaging yourselves. You're not just disparaging LA city council. You're disparaging Latinos across the country. And like, this is why we have, we have to have a show. We have to talk about it tonight because these three jackasses can't figure out across the time span of their life, the simple conclusion that in working with one another, we're going to triumph and gain so much more than in combating and fighting one another. I'm sure mm-hmm. David's on it with me too. Yeah. Uh, probably uh, less, less, uh, less, uh, Curse words, but yeah, David, what's up? <laughs> hey, 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 before 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 David goes, can I can I can I tee David up because David and I, yeah. uh, Omar was out Friday, but David and I did a really deep dive. And David, in your as you address it, can you actually 
lay out the facts of what happened because David went in and looked who they were talking to was really important. And they also disparaged the brown community as well. Um, and, and, it, and I think it talks about some of the larger issues that we talk about in the yeah. South Star classroom as Omar is sometimes called the uh, the Texas brown person and David is the California brown person. And like there are some there are some nuances there. So, uh, David, you did a good breakdown. I just didn't want you to leave that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, thank you. Um, adding on to um, to what Omar shared. Um, I mean, we're talking about a much larger and a broader issue um, tonight, but it was really spurred by um, this recording uh, that was made a secret recording that was made in October of 2021. So about a year ago that just surfaced um, a, a week or two ago, you know, about a month out of an election. So it's definitely some kind of a political move. Um, there were three city council members at this meeting, all uh, Latinos, Latinas, and they were meeting with um, at, at the Cal at the Los Angeles County uh, Labor Federation offices. They were meeting with the president of the guy that runs all of the, the labor unions in Los Angeles, um, having a meeting outside of the purview of the public was not posted, was not a public meeting, talking about essentially redistricting uh, redistricting that's that just happened in los angeles and basically doing what we all fear that politicians do jockeying for power and drawing maps in particular districts in the the city of los angeles that would um benefit and and increase the power of latino voters and diminish the power or the perceived power of african-american voters in several districts so in addition to what they said the content of their conversation and their actions were actually all, you know, match up with their, their rhetoric around, um, around trying to solidify Latino power in, uh, you know, lots of city and County of Los Angeles and, and working uh, actively against um, helping uh, the African-American community to solidify um, power through redistricting. That's what they talked about. Um, and one has since resigned, two are still on the council um, and the, the gentleman that ran the uh, Labor Federation, he's resigned also. Um, so that's where things are at right now. I mean, L.A. has a very long, rich history of, of racial, racialized politics. Um, I did a little bit of background research. Um, but, yeah, this goes, goes way back. Um, this is nothing new. Um, what's happening in L.A. does kind of remind me of what's happening in particular in other big cities where you have a growing Latino population and a shrinking African-American population that's definitely happening uh, in Los Angeles as well. Um, and then just getting to the question, I would say we definitely face a lot of the same issues. Um, you know, we talk about education, educate, you look at educational outcomes, you, took, you look at life outcomes, access to healthcare, food justice issues, um, safe neighborhoods and safe communities. I think, um, you know, across the the black and brown communities, we definitely face a lot of the same issues. The challenge is how we go about solving and working together to, um, to you know, remedy those issues. Yeah, thanks for that, man. Thanks for that insight. Uh, Stuart, on you, man. When you first heard this, uh, th th this hot mic, what were your thoughts? Um, so, I mean, I had lots of thoughts. One, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, I'll just start by like LA is like a good example of what happens when what used to be the primary minority of the United States actually becomes uh, a, a double, triple minority again. So black folks in LA have been displaced in big ways, right? 
Uh, I was born into California. So I was born into oh. San Jose, California. And at the time that I was born, there was a deep kind of connection between blacks and Chicanos, right? Uh, and it was almost like alluring to think for me to grow up growing up, uh, Mexicans and, and Chicano folks were part of my community, my family. It was integrated. I wasn't aware of the fact that when you say something like Latino, that that doesn't mean Chicano and Mexican. So when I went, moved to other parts of the country and I got to see that there was like a large, uh, large group of folks that we had different relationships with in different places, right? Like, uh, like Florida, Cubans, for instance, is a different Ooh, scenario than, man. you know, Ooh. that's a different scenario than I grew up in, in, in mm. California, right? Like the folks that I know in California is different than, than Florida is different than some other places, whatnot, right? Like Puerto Ricans got a different thing going on. So the thing around like, like California's microcosm of the politics of black, you know, brown politics are different than other places. So it's particularly sad for me to see it happen in California, which is a place where I think the black brown coalition is probably the most integrated over time, shared culture, shared music, shared lifestyles, shared family members. But there's like three things going on right now. There's this that we're talking about in LA, which shows the it shows the degree to which black folks have lost power in in uh, Los Angeles politics and how sometimes another minority can actually become a replacement for the white majority uh, when they take over. So we can't just assume like if Asians take over that it's going to be good for black folks. Right. You know, mm -hmm. we just can't assume that. Uh, and at the same time, we have Fat Joe who's arguing about his right to be able to say the N word. Uh, listen, man, this is just how I grew up. And, uh, you know, I'm not black, but I get to say it because I grew up around black people or whatnot. You know, you have things like that going on at the same time. And like I said, you know, you got the Cubans, you got people who've been here for five minutes and all of a sudden they're anti-immigrant. Right. They, you know, Texas has some of them folks. Texas has folks that, you know, they're they're here for one generation and they're already voting against Filled with them. You know, they're voting against their own people. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. The racial bargain, first of all, anti-blackness cuts across all ethnicities, right? Uh, you go to India, you will find colorism. You will see advertisements for whitening cream, right? All across, you will see it in Mexico. You will see it in India. You will see yeah, you it see everywhere. It here, Ambi. Yeah, it's a little you different here Africa. than it is. It's gross across the world in ways like you couldn't get away with advertising whitening cream the way that you advertise it in the rest of the world. You can do it here. Yeah. as well because i mean you know so anyways uh, it's only my point is to say black folks did a lot to secure the rights of everybody in the united states through the 1960s one of the chief allies in that fight was uh chicano pride mexicans uh black uh, black and brown coalitions and some jews right but after we made all those gains a lot of other people came to this country enjoyed the benefits of what we secured for them, the bag we secured for them, and quickly decided that we needed to be further down the chain than them, right? And, and we're living that out now. And that's not getting better. Yeah. We're getting displaced in city after city after city. That's wild, bro. And, 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 and even to top that, I mean, it's not like African-Americans and Mexicans didn't uh, found L.A., so that's wild. Reef, jump in here, bro. What are your thoughts when you first initially heard the hot mic? Uh, like Chris, man, I had a lot of, you know, just a lot of thoughts, you know, uh, one, as he, you know, clearly talked about, you know, just the anti-black sentiment that's, you know, uh, pretty much around the world, but it's almost, and we've spoken about this in, on this show 
uh, multiple times. Like that's almost part of your license to become American. You have to, you know, prove, you know, it's almost like you're joining a gang, you have some kind of initiation. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, you want to be accepted as a true American. Mm-hmm. What level of anti-blackness <laughs> do you harbor, right? You know, and, no. and the, the more, you know, uh, ridiculous you are, the more you'll fit in into this mm-hmm. society, right? Mm-hmm. And so and I think even some of it is just, you know, the it's not just a conscious bias, but, you know, I uh, read somewhere once like racism or anti-blackness ain't the shark, it's the water, right? Mm-hmm. So while people may lock onto the shark, like, oh, that fin, that's the danger, that... Like not, nah, it's actually the water. <laughs> the mm-hmm. water is mm-hmm. anti-black, and so as you ingest it, even if you think, "Oh no, I'm that's not me," um, and then we often talk about the institutional anti-blackness, right? We talk about that a lot, but you know, we've also always said like, there's plenty of anti-blackness and racism that's taught in people's car rides home, at their dining room table. Um, and at your local city council meetings, right? Like this, this, this stuff is, is taught and reinforced. Um, and I also think about, you know, in the past and, you know, Philadelphia is interesting because, you know, as you mentioned, there's different ethnicities, you know, and growing up, you know, the, the largest group that I was familiar with was the Puerto Rican, uh, community, um, you know, who was, you know, I, and I forget what the population was, um, here in Philadelphia, but it's also, you know, growing and, and there are some schools that, that are pretty, you know, diverse and so on and so forth. Uh, and then lastly, Ray, I think about the original Rainbow Coalition before Jesse Jackson um, hijacked Chairman. it. You know, Don't do that. Um, Don't do that. Before Jesse Jackson hijacked it, Chairman Fred Hampton Chairman. Um, really was uh, coalescing folks around this idea of the Rainbow Coalition. And that had been already happening in different parts of the country, as, as Chris, uh, you know, uh, you know, shared. But like that piece, the black and brown get down is fractured in a lot of different ways, right? And and if I'm the enemy and I see that y'all were coming together and making gains, like divide and conquer is the is Satan's age, age long age tool. tool right? Like <laughs> they tell you, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do divide and conquer. No, you're not. Yes, I am. Watch this, right? And every time it's like over and over. I mean, we could we could fill all of our homes up with books that just shows how the oppressed allow themselves to to get uh, divided and conquered by the oppressor over and yeah. over. Same playbook, same playbook. Yeah. But we're not drawing on our playbook of unification. That's the problem. Yeah, and so and that's that, and that's the reason why we're having this podcast tonight, mm-hmm. right? And so, fellas, coming down to you, Omar, we'll come to you first, man. Where do you think that we can find places where our interests converge, and that we can like have conversations about how we can come together and like do this work? I mean, there. Oof, this is. I want to really quickly do a, a breakdown because I, I absolutely want to answer that question. But I want to address something that Cynthia was talking about in the comment section really quickly in that like, yeah, we we have seen this happen before, but for those who may not know, this is a direct result. And, you know, I'm sure David will back me up on this one of like the straight up colonization. So when, you know, essentially indigenous folks were colonized in Mexico and in some respects in South America, because in other South American countries, they pride themselves on not mixing. So the Argentines and the Chileans pride themselves on not mixing with the indigenous people, um, making that disparity even greater. But in Mexico, which literally means mezclado, mestizajo, mixed, 
It's been a scenario where the guilt and the desire to be part of the upper class has led Mexicans to malign other Mexicans. And you were saying it really, really well. Uh, you know, uh, the, the citizen Chris was breaking it down perfectly where colorism is something that absolutely exists in Mexico. The lighter skinned you are, the greater placement you have in society. The darker skinned you are, sadly, like the worst jobs, the worst placement, and it is literally alternate universes. Mm -hmm. And it's all completely contingent on the color of your skin. And these people, the lighter skinned they are, take massive advantage of it. So if, oh, if you're oh, lighter skinned, oh, I'm oh. gonna malign myself against darker people. Really, really quick, they want to push you on this, right? So are you saying uh, the folks that are more white-facing, white-passing uh, receive more privilege than the darker skin hue? A thousand percent. Okay. Greater jobs, yeah. greater placement in government. I mean, you're talking just simple stuff. Like, you all saw that Eddie Murphy skit back in, like, the 80s SNL white like me where he dressed up like a white person and he was getting all these things gifted to Goat him. Goat level yeah. sketch right there. It is one of the best sketches everyone should see and it's not just funny, it's satirical meaning mm -hmm. that these people mm -hmm. live in an alternate reality. Ray, if you're lighter skinned in Mexico you're getting offered free things, more things, more government placements, better jobs all because of the color of your skin. Period. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think what happened is that when Mexicans came to this country and they were treated disparagingly, segregated, and we saw ourselves align under commonality in the 1960s, it became that same fracturous scenario where white folks were like, dude, why are you aligning yourselves with them? You should align yourselves with us. And you can see the Republican Party and, you know, no offense to the Republican Party right now. I know, like, y'all are going to push back, but I see it happening in Texas Only right now. Give, right. give them all the, what do you mean? Give them all the disrespect. What are you but, talking about? Yeah. No yeah, disrespect. Okay. Like, align yourselves with us. Because yeah. Rail inbox you, but it's same. Right. But it's like, what's the historical context of your support for Mexican-American people? But the direct result of that colonization is what leads Mexicans to malign themselves, to hate on each other to malign blacks and then say, if we can only show these white people how we're against black people, maybe they'll accept us. It becomes yeah. a scapegoat scenario. So to answer your question, what do we do to get together? It's brother, it's in our blood. And I think David may know about this poem. It's a badass poem. If you don't know about it, it's called Pensamiento Serpentino. My boy Julio Enriquez and I were talking about it today. He's my compadre. And it's a poem written in the 70s about a Mayan ideology, an ideology of coming together as a unit to help the community and not just yourself. Mm -hmm. it, it Literally, it's a poem about you are the other me, meaning... I live my life knowing that the decisions I make are going to affect you and affect the community. So the decisions that we're making are best for the community and not just myself. What I saw happen in city council in Los Angeles was self-serving selfishness. Yep. And it, 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 be, it became extraordinarily racist, but it is this ideology of we have to look out for ourselves, which is ironic, Ray, ironic, you know, uh, Chris, ironic, everybody on this podcast, because if we aligned ourselves around common beliefs, the 
ability to prosper and ability to join and say, we have so many similar issues that if we aligned ourselves, we would have the majority of council, we would have the majority of a coalition, we would have people backing us up. And to answer your question directly, it, it, it literally blows my mind because we have so many issues that are so common to each other, like lack of educational support, lack of food support, housing issues. If we just picked one issue and started saying, if we aligned ourselves with the black community, how far could we get in our political power and our voice to not only unite ourselves, but unite ourselves around this one cause where we're going to massively benefit because we're gathering a group of people who have the same similar issue with one another, it, it's going to be spectacular. And to push back on one of the comments, I heard, hey man, you can't just group people because of like facts and commonality. I'm like, yeah, you can. When people face similar struggles, that is the very recipe for aligning yourselves with one another. It is so illogical and so stupid and so insipid to say, we're gonna just fight against black people because we gotta look out for our own. Like, yo, you I mean, would get fastest, your own if you aligned with success, black people. Though. That's really the fastest way to success. If you're Asian American and you want to climb the ladder and you want to succeed in advance, the easiest racial bargain to make in the United States is, is anti-blackness. Right. So if, if I really was here for five minutes from Africa, from Asia, from anywhere else in the world, and I really wanted to, to advance quickly in the United States, I would go on the Candace Owens plan. I would go on the uh, the Cuban, the Cuban Floridian plan. I would go on the Trump Hispanic uh, Texas plan. Uh, I would go on the, the African, the Caribbean been here for five minutes and I already hate Negroes plan. It, it is the easiest. We are the we are the most accomplished civil rights uh, group of people in the United States. We're the conscious of the United States, and we are also the the rug on which everybody steps to get closer to proximity, not just to whiteness, but to the power of whiteness. Mm -hmm. uh, and and people understand that if they are being practical, like the idea that we should all come together around our common organizing goals makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense when you say it, when I say it, academically, it makes a lot of sense. Practically, uh, it doesn't make as much sense as going Trump, as going the, you know, listen, I may not be uh, all the way there yet, but at least I'm not black. And I'm at least I'm not like them. The third uh, kind of thing, when I said Fat Joe uh, and and then the LA thing, the other thing that came up recently that I had forgotten about was the the George Lopez thing. You know, when he got uh, in trouble for telling the joke that, you know, there's only two things in, in Mexican families that we, you know, that we are, are no-nos about. One is uh, don't park in front of our house and the other is don't marry mm -hmm. black. Uh, yeah. and, when, and when he did that whole thing, a black mm -hmm. woman stood up in the crowd and, uh, and he kicked her out and he yelled at her, tell her to shut the F up, you be and blah, 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 whatever. And he never really caught a lot of heat from the black community. He was he was uh, Charlemagne's donkey of the day for doing that, uh, who went in on him. But there was never well, really a discussion. Was he was he donkey of the day for saying that or for kicking the woman out for both? Charlemagne okay. for Charlemagne Charlemagne was like and and Charlemagne talking about it was like even talking about the level of anti-blackness he had faced it with some Puerto mm -hmm. Ricans in New York and with with Latino you know yeah. members on the same thing that there was some truth to that so I'm only saying this to say 
anti-blackness is the fastest way to success, not just in the yep. United States, but in a lot of I mean, let's, and let, right, I mean, so, I'm glad we have that conversation. Charles, hold up, Charles. Queuing you up because you got the Brown report that's out right now. So I want you to tie that into with whatever you're about to say. Well, it don't fully fit. It fits a little bit, but it don't it fully fits, fit. It fits, bro. Well, I never, well, but I, I had, well, let this man just go. Just let him say what he's going to say. I had, I had somewhere else I wanted to go because I, I didn't, I didn't say how I responded to like the whole thing that it, that even happened, right? I think, you know, one of the things that I would just say is I'm glad Chris brought it up and don't, not full screen, go ahead and put us all on there together because, because uh, one of the things, I'm glad Chris said it because this is where I was going to go. Like where I was going to go with it was, I don't think a lot of people know history and like immigrants tend to compete for a spot on the white team. So if you remember, like, if you know history, you know, when the Irish came here and the Italians came here, like I was born in the exact same neighborhood as chairman Fred Hampton, right? Like Maywood used to be an Italian suburb and then it became black. And now it's kind of this shared coalition. And the point was, it was the same thing. I think that we have these opportunities where George Lopez was telling the truth of how about how they felt. Nuri is telling the truth about how she feels. And so when people ask me, how did I feel about when I heard it? I was shocked that people were still shocked that these things are happening. Like mm -hmm. as a black person, and I'm going to say something that's not popular. I need us to not have emotional responses to this. But think about this from a business perspective. If I was the black power structure there, I'd want Nuri to stay. You know why? Because I got a one up on Nuri. And I got and yo and and, and and I wanted David to break down exactly what happened because this is a conversation about power. It was they were meeting with the labor unions. They were meeting with people that felt that labor unions belong to brown people, and these black people don't get to say in what it is that we got going on. And we went to that place. And my thing was, look, what are we asking for as black people? Do not show up to the black and brown coalition with a blank sheet of paper because brown people are not. They know what they want. And when you show up with a blank piece of paper, people get to tell you what goes on that paper. We have to start asking for what we want, because you know what happens in Chicago? Met, like, brown, black people and Italian people get along. They, don't, they still don't want their kids dating each other. They don't want their kids to get married, but they are both very, very clear on what happens. And I need black people to move like the mafia. The mafia sits down with people that want to kill each other. They want to kill each other. And they come in and say, we run the east side, you run the west side. I want this, you want this, let's make a truce and let's kind of keep it happening. We keep wanting people to love us and I want people to respect us. And I want us to have an actual agenda that we go after. So my reaction to the entire thing was, listen, they used to call uh, Irish people, what, ground diggers and potato pickers and all that stuff. And then they got to a point where they said, look, white people are shrinking. Here's the deal that we need to make with Irish America. Then they did it with Italians. They said, look, give us the Bank of Italy, which became the Bank of America. If people don't know, Bank of America was an Italian bank that they traded. And in return, they said, we will deify Columbus. Go to certain parts of Chicago and talk about Columbus Day if you want to. Go and talk about Columbus Day if you want to, right? So, uh, so my thing, so the Brown Report, I'll finish this point. I'll tie it in in, in, in 30 seconds, uh, Ray. I'll do my best. My, my ending point on this is, when you finally got a one-up on somebody, don't let them go. Let's actually have the conversation. We keep ducking and dodging conversations, and we're not growing as a black and brown coalition. We are just teaching people how to hide better. All they're going to do is check for the cameras and, and the microphones next time. The brown report is a follow-up to the black report, and the black report was about black-led charter schools from the voices of black students. And the brown community saw it, and they liked it. And then the South Star Classroom was able to come in and do a Brown report. Now, David and I led that research 
Omar couldn't be a part of that research for for specific reasons, but he just did the uh, the translation, and we have the Spanish version coming out. But we're basically hearing from these brown students, and these brown students, to be honest with you, and David, I will throw it to you because. When we did the show Friday, you said if we if people would have listened to the Brown report, like if they would have had this a year ago, they probably could have avoided this because what came out of that Brown report, David, that you stuck on that that you feel like that that those leaders could have learned from. Yeah, so thank you, Charles. Um, yeah, so the Brown report culminates in this uh, uh, a number of recommendations for for both Brown and, and non Brown school leaders working in schools that serve a high percentage of, of Brown Latino Latina students and. Uh, the last recommendation, which probably should have been the first, uh, was one that we heard come through the student voice and also, you know, my experience as being a leader is that, um, you know, for, for Latino leaders and for uh, non-Latino leaders working in schools with brown children, you recognize that we are not all the same. We have, we have there's a wide diaspora of, when you say Latino, Latina, that could mean um, somebody like me, whose parents were uh, living in Texas before it was Texas, when it was Mexico, right? So the border literally crossed us. Omar speaks better Spanish than I do, right? Um, but we're all lumped together with, um, you know, the, the recent immigrants from um, Central America, Venezuela, from Oaxaca, right? Um, we are not the same. And so the point there is to identify as a group what our similarities are, what, what are our shared interests, and where we are different, where our experience is different, is to instead of taking the road of divide and conquer and and try to manipulate difference is to find strength and difference right and that's built into the recommendation and that's exactly what you heard coming out of um the mouth of nuri martinez this uh former la city council president when she is you know making her uh anti-black comments and she's making her anti-brown comments she's she goes she goes off on uh, the short, funny-looking, dark people that have mm -hmm. moved into Koreatown. So maybe we should change the name. She's talking about gente from Oaxaca, Mexico. These are her people, and she's, you know, she, it was like unbelievable. I'm like, who did you not talk about it? I mean, she pretty much talked about everybody, um, you know, including her own people. So, so you know, going back to an earlier point, um, and what we haven't talked about, which is a real thing, is anti-blackness and even anti, um, you know, dark brownness that lives in our homes, not in the formal structures of our society, but in the informal structures of our living rooms, of our, our bars, of our stores, you know, and now on social media, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an issue for, for us as Latinos to grapple with. Um, and it's something that we, ha we haven't done it. And it's a, it's, it's a significant issue. Um, and even as our numbers continue to grow, um, you know, we will continue to be divided as a people until, um, you know, we're able to open up these conversations. And I feel like people kind of missed the, they're, they're, we could have learned a lot from what happened in Los Angeles. It just happened. Maybe we'll get there. Um, but there's a lot of different angles to uh, approach what happened. And, and for me, one of the takeaways is absolutely the things that were said um, towards African-Americans, towards an African-American child, towards Latinos, um, but really the, the class thing too, you know, the class, like the, the immigrant piece, like, I don't know about Nuri Martinez, maybe her family's been here for a hundred years, um, but I can guarantee you she's got relatives in Mexico somewhere and Oaxaca is a part of Mexico. She's literally talking about her own people. And if you're gonna do that, you're gonna sell anybody else out at that point. Um, so 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, and, you know, per- no. go ahead, Reef. No, I was just going to ask a clarifying question. I know Oaxaca Mexicans, those are uh, considered like darker skin, have a, yep. a more direct link to, uh, you know, Absolutely. African ancestors. Yep. So Oaxaca and Chiapas are the two southernmost states in Mexico, um, you know, that eventually border on Guatemala. Um, they are the two states that are the richest in natural resources. And they are the two states that are the poorest when you look at per capita income, because they are heavily, heavily indigenous. So you want to look at colorism in Mexico, um, anti-blackness, anti-brownness in Mexico, look no further than how, you know, the economy is working for people down there. Yeah. And so, I mean, you see, so you're seeing a lot of things at the border, right? So like recently you got uh red state uh, folks that are shipping uh, uh, immigrants that just c- come ac- across the border to um to, to blue states right you you've seen up in uh cape cod uh we've got mm-hmm. 5500 folks that have just come to new york uh in different sections of new york or whatever right and then there's still like a, a, a anti-immigrant um um way of looking at those folks coming out of the latino community right and so like i i need you guys to explain to me um how folks that um, came came to this country in a similar path and now against other people that are using the same path to to, to freedom I need y'all to I need y'all to explain that to me I don't understand I mean I, I think it's it's power I mean I'll, I'll take a stab at this first I mean I think it's it's power it's resources it's um it's you know you come here you, maybe you are able to have your kids here and they go to school and you know you're able to move up the the, the chain right the ladder the social ladder. Um, and you know, in order to, you don't want to make way for new people. Right. So, um, you know, that, that's a quick story from, from my family and growing up. I mean, I have many, but I I will say that anti-blackness was definitely a thing in my home, right. My, with my parents, uh, sometimes, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. Um, but it was something that I recognized. Um, and then, you know, later on went to college you know, started, you know, going through that education. I studied political science and, and I learned a lot, you know, in my, in my schooling. Um, and I, I remember, uh, you know, when my parents moved into a home in San Diego in the like early seventies, right. It was a white neighborhood. They were the first Latino family, Chicano, Mexican American family to move into this neighborhood. And they caught, you know, they caught all kinds of stuff. Uh, the pe- neighbors were, were very racist towards them. Um, and it took a while for those things to settle down. You fast forward like 15 years later, or maybe 20 years later. Um, and during the 1980s, as a result of the US government's involvement in Southeast Asia, we have a, a, a wave of immigration from La- uh, Laos, from Vietnam, you know, it's Southeast Asia. And many of them came to uh, the West Coast, many of them came to San Diego. And so in this same neighborhood, that my parents, you know, where they bought a home, where they were the first Latino brown folks in this neighborhood. Now we have Southeast Asians coming over. And what do they do? They're farmers, they're people of the earth. They're, they're like planting corn in their front yard. And my parents couldn't, they couldn't deal with it. They're like, who are these people coming in? They're planting corn. They're gonna take the neighborhood down. And I'm like, hey, you, get, you gotta stop because you're doing exactly to these people what your white neighbors did to you when you moved in and you complained about it. So it's literally that, that process of, of, uh, of, you know, immigration, getting settled, and then punching down on people as they're coming in. And sometimes they can be your own people. 
Yeah, right. And yeah. I don't think that's such a, a you know like foreign concept for human mm. beings. Period. You know, like mm-hmm. you see that. Let let some black folks get to a, a a suburb or some kind of enclave, and then you know. You mean like where you at now? No, no, I'm actually talking about Long Island, uh, adjacent to the Hamptons, <laughs> where you are. That's what, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> let, 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 let me and my homies, Raheem and Muhammad, my cousins, try to show up in, in that neighborhood and see what those black folks start acting all uppity and everything. So I, you I'm call, know. I, I'm, calling, I'm calling them folks. I know you would. I know you would. <laughs> in a hot minute, like, yo. And Chris, yeah, and Chris calling them too. Chris calling them too. <laughs> <laughs> Chris only gonna call if I if I bring my bow and arrow up to up in that way. Other than that, he good, you know. I, I just like to say that you know uh, the cold in Minnesota keeps the riffraff out, so y'all could just do what y'all want to do down there in your warm climates. Y'all do that. Y'all do what you do in your warm climates and whatnot. It's nice down you know, there, man. One of the things I was gonna say is you know in Michelle Alexander's book, uh, the New Jim Crow, she talks a little bit about this thing called the racial bargain. And the racial bargain is just basically white supremacy offers you a deal that like if you hate black people like everybody else, it'll give you status. At least you'll be better. So if you're Irish, we can make you white. We can get you part mm-hmm. of the white. There's people who say that Jews weren't and white. And we'll make until, you cops too. <laughs> and we'll make everything. And you know, people that there's people that say that the Jews weren't white until 1968 in New York when they did Ocean Hill, Brownsville, and they got the entire white, all the Jewish teachers walked out with the white you know, parents of the the state, blah, blah, whatever. And they made a transition. Uh, and, you know, right now we're in this period of time where white insecurity about population numbers and about uh, losing, losing the country and losing their soul and the browning is at such a level that I think they are looking for more probationary white people. They're looking for their new version of the, of, they're looking for their new version of the Chinese. I mean, the new version of the the, the Jews, the new version of the, of the the um the italians i mean italians were dark dark italians were seen as swarthy a swarthy race so them extending the racial them extending the racial uh uh, bargain to italians was a big deal that was almost like extending it to damn near black group but what they Mm. did in each of those cases was the the brighter ones of each and by brighter i mean skin color it was the lighter jews the lighter skin color jews not everybody made you know the african jews didn't make it over the threshold it was the lighter italians that got the movie roles right uh and this time around it's going to be the lighter hispanics and lighter latinos who are going to get probationary white status and who are going to increase the numbers of the GOP in that side of the fence. And it's going to be the Asians that want to play along with the anti-blackness. Hey, you know, those black guys are, are get, keeping you out of schools you want to be in. They're trying to, oh, you know, they're trying to change change the rules. But here's the funny thing. When you talk about the Latinos that they're going to offer the, the bargain to, it's going to be more like the Cubans, more like the ones. It's not going to be the darker ones, the swarthy ones. And, and when you talk about Latinos, that's a catch-all for a lot of different kinds of people for, from a lot of different countries. And I believe that some of the countries are going to be left out of that bargain. And it's the same thing with Asians. When people say Asian, they're talking about Chinese and Japanese. They're not talking about the Hmong. They're not talking about Filipinos. Indians. They're, not, they're not talking about Indians, you know, the darker mm-hmm. Indians and whatnot. They're talking about Ch- Japanese and Chinese. So when they say, oh, you know, Asian kids are doing better than you are, and it's because they have a better culture. Well, they're not saying that about the Hmong, right? They're not saying that about the, the you know, the Vietnamese or the Filipinos or any of those others. It's really the ones that they want to recruit that they're saying that about. And basically, that's the overture. 
you know, you you're better than the blacks. Let's extend you a deal. Let's get you, let's get you in on probationary white status. And you know what? They're going to take it. They are going to take it. They're going to make that and, bargain with yeah, people. Yeah, but you, you, made that, you made that point at the beginning, right? Why would they not? I mean, they <laughs> because it's a sucker move, but it is. But listen, but listen, but so so we're we're starting to see we're starting to see folks uh show their faces and whatnot that are not even light skinned in complexion in the black community, but assimilate to that white way of thinking. Like you see a Candace Owens or whatever, right? Like she has hella popularity. It's different for us though. With us, okay. with blacks. They don't want the, the light skinned blacks doing it because what they need is they need what they feel is the biggest sample. Yeah. They need yeah. what they they need the like it was it's really weird. It's different with us. The darkest yeah, it's called mascot. You need a mascot. Yeah, they need a mascot. They need a Herschel Walker but, but, on our team, right? But Chris, I, I don't, <laughs> right. don't but don't lose it though, Chris, because because Sharif was just out here in Chicago and we caught up. Uh give your wife my best again, man. We had a good conversation. When I went to the Dominican Republic, everybody spoke to me in Spanish, right? And I'm like, no, no, I'm black. And then I remember all the people that were like at the front of the, the, the resort were light-skinned Dominicans and all the people serving food and cleaning and doing things were darker-skinned Haitians. And I remember going into stores, into the cities, and there was just whitening cream just being sold. Like, it was just a thing. And, and Sammy Sharif Sosa. was like, yo. You said, what? Well, I mean, not, but yeah, but even, even before Sammy Sosa, right? And I remember Sharif saying, yo, that used to be a thing here. Like, when I was a kid, like, I would see yeah. these things happening. I think... Like, like if we if people want to really understand, right, like that when you when you take a test and it says Hispanic, not white, like there's a yeah. reason that that stuff is there. Like like and you have to have a deeper conversation around voluntary immigration and non-voluntary immigration. So when David talks about, yo, my family was a part of Texas that was a part of Mexico and then it became the United States. That's involuntary immigration that is happening. And they tend to be of darker hues. But when people are coming here. With, with, and they're saying they're making a decision. There are people that are making a decision. Listen, man, Jonathan Agbu. I don't know if you all know who John Agbu is. He was this really famous researcher. My chair, uh, um, um, Professor Sean Jenright, you, when he was a young like student, worked under John Agbu, who just told him flat out, you black people are lazy. You black people are like, like, like he, is from, he is from the motherland. He came over here. And like he was just saying, yo, if you all just assimilate, like things will be easier for you. So there are people that are like, you know, coming over here. Like there is a plan for people that's coming over here. And I think that to bring it all the way back, Ray, to like what happened, I don't think you push Nuri out. I actually think at some point we have to have a conversation with people instead of teaching people how to hide better. Nothing is going to happen and hearts are not going to change. People are just going to get better language. They're just going to get flower, more flowery language, and you're never going to have to deal with this thing. David and Omar and I were talking about this, well, more so David and I, because it's like, yo, like, let, let oh, let's actually have that conversation, David, about the brown paper bag test in the brown community, because I hear about it in the black community Ooh. all the time. Wait a second, mm -hmm. that happens in the, in the brown community? Oh, guess what? It happens in the Italian community, too. It happens in all these other places. But it's only a thing when we talk about it with black people. And until we ready to actually have these conversations, we're not making a better society. We're just making better liars. Yo, so I can't, I can't I disagree mean, like anymore. So, I just I gotta say I can't disagree anymore just on this one point. Let's do it. Like, oh, like, the show like, has like, started. Let, let, me just, let me just say this. No, there are consequences. Your ass has to go for one. You can you know, go. Some of, the, some of the black, some of the black folks at the the press conference that I saw that was calling to the, for them to resign first said. 
very specifically, I, I remember the Jews saying, it is untenable for us to go into the city council from any day further and find a person who's sitting there who called a black child a monkey. And I thought that nobody has made this any more goddamn clear than that. No, it is untenable for me as a citizen of Los Angeles to go into the city council chambers and be looking at a person sitting there with any amount of authority or power absolutely called a young black child a monkey. So we can keep talking to you. We can help you repair yourself with your movie star mm -hmm. good looks and your thinking that you had like done all this behind closed doors. But I, yeah, we'll keep working with you uh, in some way, shape or form. You know, you can go on an apology tour and dedicate the rest of your life to being like down for the real thing and we'll work yep. with you. But you know what? You got to get out that seat of power, though, as a person. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Right. Like, because I want to I want to respond to that. And I think that this is a good place. I, I like I actually I don't disagree with that, Chris. Like I get take that power away, whatever the case is. But what I'm saying and what I what I think, you know, what I'm saying what, what we need to actually we need to like really pound on, bro. It's like at some point. We gotta have that conversation. Nuri's community's not gonna know, throw Nuri away. They gonna they gonna they gonna say some stuff publicly. They are gonna do whatever the case. They, no, they gonna, gonna do whatever galvanize they need to do. Yeah. You said what? They're oh, gonna they galvanize beat, behind they beat her. drums in front of her house. They're telling her to get no, out. No, no. I'm talking about her people. I'm, listen, man. Let, oh, you need her political one, people. One, two, three, four. Yeah. Show that mm, the door. And, yeah, and that's fine. Right. And, listen, and that's fine. That's how that drum sound right there. I don't know Nuri. I don't know her. I don't care about her. That's not the issue. That I'm that I'm that I'm really bringing up. What I'm saying is, us as black people, what do we want and what are we asking for? What is it? Are we gonna allow and be happy with like people marching and just outing these people? Or are we actually gonna ask for some type of legislation that's gonna help black people out? Like again, if if like what as black people are we coming to the table on one accord and saying these are two to three things that we want? This I'm I don't care about Nuri Muhammad. Oh, not Muhammad. I don't made. I don't made her after. Ooh, damn, you don't don't wow. <laughs> Look, Nuri gonna come back with it. Nuri gonna come back talking about. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Assalamu alaikum in a minute. You know what I'm saying? But, it's, it's plenty of Muslims with anti-blackness too. The Arabs, the Iranians, all you know. So it it, it probably is not Nuri the, Muhammad out there that says something I'm very making. similar. Here's the point that I'm making. We are the people that care more about platitudes and actual results. And that's what I'm saying. Because let me tell you something that somebody who's Wait, second, running, who you saying that about? I'm, I'm, I'm about to tell you. Because yeah, in your same school districts, in your same school districts that got black people, you know what them black people say about them black parents that can't make a Tuesday meeting at one o'clock in the in PM? Bro. They say bro. they don't they don't love their kids. And it'd be bro, black not only not only are they sanded on social media, we got some people that are on this broadcast right now that be liking and retweeting that shit. But, but what, what, I, what, I, what I'm saying, what, what what is I'm saying is, is that, wait a second now, because we about no, to have wait, shots wait, fired for the damn GOP showman over here. I don't want this to get lost. I don't want this to get lost. Chris, because I agree with you, Chris. I actually agree with you. And I think that what I'm saying, you actually agree with too, because you've been a part of school. You've been a part of the school board, right? Like there are black, like if we, this is one person that got caught being anti-black or whatever. I just like to say racist. I don't even like the anti-black shit. Call that shit racism. Racism is racism. That was a good enough word. Mm -hmm. But there are black people that look like you that don't feel like your kids I'm can learn. You around, are black people I'm gonna you around. There's a difference between racism, racism in general. Anti-blackness yeah, anti is you can, you a very specific you, part of you, racism, you, and it's uh it's specific. It's pretty potent. Yeah. It's pretty you potent. Can, you can you can listen, you can call it whatever you want. I'm just talking about like the conversation I've had with people in my community that don't necessarily use those terminology. To them, it's just racist. The point that I'm making is, and Chris, we've had somebody tell us to our face. 
that is black that it has very powerful positions that black people just don't have they don't they not some of these black people are not smart enough to make their own choice about schools so which one is more offensive the person outside of my race saying that shit or somebody inside of my race with a bunch of power a bunch of money that gets a whole bunch of platforms and that's actually has power to stop and make that happen if we don't have the fucking conversation let's have the conversation cuz i don't care about nuri I don't give yeah, a fuck. I stop, I stop weighing yeah. whether it's anti-blackness from a black person or anti-whiteness from somebody else. It's anti-blackness. You know, I don't measure like, well, you know, it's a little bit worse because you like, I don't care because at the end of the day, it is killing our children. Um, so whether it's the black person anti-blackness that have ingested it and, and are, are gleefully promoting it, or if it's anybody else that's gleefully promoting it, right? Like it's still the same, you know, like, you know, it's the same, you know, consequence. It kind of is not the same, though, if you look at like, like the person in my community who does this, who doesn't have a lot of power versus the person. No, no, I'm talking about the one with the power. He said the yeah. black person with power. Yeah, even them, though, like even yeah. them, I don't feel like I feel like in a lot of ways they are uh, they are kind of like middlemen in white supremacy. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're carrying like, the water. Yeah, they're but... carrying the water for white supremacy. But the real white supremacist system is the same that it's always been. And the people within it that act, have the actual kind of power over all of us. I mean, listen, take a picture of all your senators. Just flash a picture up of what your senators look like in the United mm -hmm. States, what your governors look like in the United States. The people with the actual bottom line power. With the power. Who, yeah. the, the backstop power, the, the power that will not be resisted. Let's put it that yep. way. The power and, and that we, will not be resisted. And we get uh, we get uh, we get Marco Rubio from Florida and Ted Cruz from uh, Texas, right? Both, and both uh, of them are both of them are white Both of them are white passing. I know I understand that, but they're both white, white passing and they act white as hell. Hell yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, yeah, man. They made that bargain with the devil a long time ago. By the way, like I just want to hats off to the GOP, Ray. Uh, I don't know if people in our audience know this. The Cubans have a good deal. So when we talk about immigration, I, I want people to understand that like a, a group of people coming from Oaxaca crossing the Sonoran Desert with zero dollars in their pocket, suffering like a 1500 mile trek across the desert is a radically different situation than a Cuban that is given like exile status and given refugee stat or is an exile and given refugee status and literally paid to come up here. Mm -hmm. So you have a mm. system of immigration that is extraordinarily advantageous for the Cubans mm. and therefore aligned with Republicans. And that oh, deal oh, let's go, baby. Unleash. made with the Republicans a long time ago. And like, listen, like read any white, white house transcript. It was inside of like, you know, just recently they discussed it inside of the white Jim Crow or uh, the new Jim Crow Reagan decided to change terminology. So when we talk about, oh, they're going to learn how to have like different terminologies and different words and use this, like they already have, like Jim Crow just turned into states' rights. It doesn't mean that Mexicans on city council in Los Angeles need to start like aligning themselves with a fictional faction, thinking that they're going to, in the short term, garner more power. The history of the United States has demonstrated otherwise. And aligning themselves with the GOP is only going to lead to the disparagement of the middle class economically because I want any person on this podcast right now to prove to me a time when the GOP was in power where they 
actually inserted economic ideologies that help the middle class and the lower class. So to answer Ray's original question, where do we align ourselves to come together and work together? How about just economic issues? Because this is where like Latinos and the Mexican community should be coming together because we're all sitting here talking about race and the money shot really is discussing about economics. Yeah, Ray. Yeah, Ray, let's hear it. I want to touch on two things. I want to say hear. a couple of things, right? And so under uh, W, I flourished, right? I'm talking, I had bigger I, tax returns any time in American history. Of all of Black America? If that ain't Eurocentric language, if that ain't Eurocentric language right there, I. And, 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 if, if, if that was Republicans that had, that, uh, had a hot mic in L.A., they never would have stepped down. They never would have resigned. It never would have happened. You got Republicans out here that are... Well, I mean, uh, Republicans lost shame a long time ago, man. They yeah. got no shame in their game. Look at Mitch McConnell. That's why they're winning. That's yes. why they're winning the message. Omar, but this Omar, goes but back they, still, to- they lost shame, but they still haven't lost Ray. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, they lost hey. everything. <laughs> they're gaining Latinos, which is the most... Unbelievable situation I've ever seen, bro. Like, and that, but that's the conversation. They, they like they are gaining Latino. Listen, man, I was just in Miami with we we had a retreat. We met a Cubano, bro, like who like lived under Castro, hates Castro, like hates this dude. Like there is a whole population of people that is like I don't give a fuck if it's Donald Trump. I don't care who. The, I am America to the day I die, and like this is what needs to happen. I don't give a fuck if you Mexican. I don't care where you from. Like, like this is what I'm saying, man. Like we and, and, and Cynthia said, you know, she said she had disagreement, which is totally fine. She said that black people have always come to the table and made demands. Tell me what the two to three black issues that we agree on are. Please tell me. Please tell what, me. What are you talking about that we that we? Wait, I can tell that you. We agree on. Yeah, that, that's that, easy. That black people. That is ubiquitous. That, yeah. that you. That yes. you. Ubiqu- yeah. That voting, black people have asked vote, ubiquity. Voting. You, yes. Voting rights. Voting rights. Quality education. You said two. That's and, two. No, and, no, no, and, no. And, that, and jobs. Stop it. And jobs. Stop it. Jobs. Banks. Loans. You know. Bro, uh, urban. I have to no, no, no. We gave you three things. Universally agreed upon. Those are what? not universally agreed upon. No, they're not. The, they uh, are not. They I not. promise you, you they're not. We're black, we're black we're person black think that, that we should we shouldn't have voting rights <laughs> and that we shouldn't have to stand in long ass lines to get outside of voting rights. What you the other things that you talk about, what person doesn't think what black person doesn't think that we should have a quality education? Let me answer. Let me answer, and I'll tell you. Let me finish. Yeah, there is no black platform. There is no black platform that says that this is the unified. I'm gonna finish what I'm saying. There is no unified black platform that says these are the two to three things that we want, regardless of who is here. And if we don't get this from Democrats, we leaving. If we don't get this from these people, we leaving. We do not have that. You know what we do that's have? A, that's a somebody who is a Democrat. That's, that's, a, that's a totally that's different thing. thing. It's that's not different. Thing. It's not. What I'm you know saying why, is you know this, why I say it's different, Charles. This is why I say it's different. I say it's different just because when you added that part about if we don't get it, we're going to leave the Democrats. There's nothing that that you can make that particular bargain on because where are you going to go? We're going to leave the Democrats and go and go enjoy the Klan. Listen, bro. There are people that's like, leaving. Like, oh, we're going to leave the there Democrats and join the Klan. You don't kill me. I'm going to join the Klan. Yeah, I'm going to join the Klan. Like, oh yeah, you can give me what I want. I'm joining the Klan. Let me tell you what. Let me explain what I mean. 
There is no Africa town. Ray there is no black town in every in every city that you go to. There is a Chinatown in every single city that you go to. I lived in Oakland, California for a long time. And guess what? In Chinatown, there is a school called Lincoln Elementary School that is a part of the traditional public school system. And 90 plus percent of those teachers are, are Chinese. And 90 plus percent of those kids are Chinese. And after you school, we don't have like Chinese black parts of, Hold on, bro. Black parts of, black parts of Detroit. cities have that too. Black. I mean, Philly got M Hotel, And let me finish what I'm saying. Ivy. There is no black. There is a Chinatown in most of these places that I've seen. There's a Koreatown in a lot of these places. Where's Blacktown? Where's Africatown, bro? In, where, in where the second York, street in, in Philly, Philly 52nd Street. In, in Harlem. Harlem. In Harlem. Well, Harlem was Harlem. It was Harlem, maybe. Hey, look, West if that's Harlem. what people at, hey, look, if that's what people at, God bless you. I think it's some bullshit. I think that I would love to go. No, I would love to be like in Chicago. I would love to go to Chicago and be like, this is Africa Town, where the dollar, the African dollar goes around, the black dollar goes around here six or seven but you're times. Adding layer, but you're, you I'm started with one place, but yes, you are. You're kind of adding layers to it. Listen, you I'm I'm I have a vision for what I would love to see for our people. Okay, David and Omar. I think okay, we all do. I think we all do. But it doesn't. But you started off with saying black people don't have anything that they agree I, what upon. What I'm saying is, and, and what then I'm saying now is, you're adding like, well, the 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 strength of the black on, dollar. Those what aren't I, what all. I'm you know what I mean? Like, those, there's a complicated like come out with a plan. Issues that are going on. What I'm saying is, is that when people like Ice Cube come out with a plan, he gets he gets drug all the way to fucking kingdom come when he says yo here's an actual codified plan that i'm thinking about he gets you think he's the first person that had a plan you, I'm not so saying you're saying like you're saying not, no, wait that, that's, that's not what you're saying said, like and you know but what i'm what saying I'm is saying. other people an other people I had plans that other cultures tend to other be people a little have, bit more alive yeah, maybe they're not sending their ice cube maybe they're not sending their version of ice cube to admit you have to admit that we run whole cities and places like, 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 there are places like, and then that there are complicating factors of why where black people are winning, where black well, people I mean, are like poor black people are thriving. See, that's see, that's what happens though is we keep adding layers to the first thing that you Come say. On, bro. Now, now, well, let me. I want to. I just want to interject I, really I, quick. I'll end it on this, and I won't say shit else. Put it like this: Hey, I love the black and brown coalition. I love the black and brown, the the black and Italian coalition. All that shit. Have a plan for what you want. Ask for what you want. Don't show up with a blank piece of paper because brown people showing up with the shit that they want. They telling us. I'm telling you as somebody who was in this, like, listen, bro, when, 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 the, when the fucking population shifted in Oakland, bro, like, and, and we had the black, we had Chris and, uh, and uh, Chris was doing a thing around black male achievement, bro. You know what them Latino folks said? And David, you was right. You, you can attest to this, bro. Hey, hey man, we the, we the majority now. Why is there a black male achievement? There should be a brown male achievement. This is what I'm talking about. I am talking about the level of togetherness that people have shown up and made sure they got the shit that they wanted. So I'm all for every coalition. I built a show around it. I actually put my efforts in, in, in into building that. But what I'm telling you is I am not going to stop asking for better for black people and for us to be on one accord. I want to see a black town. I want to see something that is like this is a black section where that money, where people not doing business outside of this first. Go to Chinatown and try to start some shit there if you want to. But guess what? Every single hair, bro, if you go down here and you look at who's selling black girls weaves, ain't none of them black, bro. They're not black. That's what I'm saying. And people can feel to say what they want to say about it, but I know somebody out there feel me, why even you, if nobody why, on this why, screen why, does. Why do you? So, so why, well, first, first of all, it doesn't matter if anybody on the screen feels you or not. We feel black. I, I know that. That's disagree. why I said what I said. So, all right. I, I, that's Final why thoughts. I said what I said. Uh, okay. 
Final thoughts. Um, we'll go with this. Omar wanted to jump. Oh, I wanted to jump in just really quick. Yeah, I love my man. Don't dismiss me, though, bro. If we're gonna have a conversation, let's have it, bro. Like, if I mean, Omar go, Omar's been waiting for a minute. I'm trying to fucked up, man. Go ahead, man. What the doc is saying, man. So, one thing the simplicity of difference is always going to triumph over the complexity of commonality. And that's like a fancy way of saying people are always going to choose what's different about others than seeing the complexity of how we can align one another. And that's just, that's just the truth. But for our listeners, you have to understand that's extraordinarily simple-minded. To sit there and say how we're different is so basic, so generalized, so dumb, and it's not doing the hard work of saying, where do we align with one another? And to back up the doc and to back up what the doc is saying, if you look at the Lebanese and the Jewish community, these are people that are extraordinarily organized because they have a common idea of what they're trying to organize for. And look, doc, on one end, I don't think Latinos really have an organized idea about what we're trying to align ourselves for. We believe in jobs. We believe in the economy. We believe in bettering our situation. But I think so does everybody else in like, you know, the working class and arguably anybody else in the United States. I think the difference is the Lebanese and the Jews are extraordinarily organized. And I think this is what the doc is trying to say. And this is my point. If blacks and, and Latinos were this organized to realize like, you may have a black town, but do you have any black owned banks? Mm-hmm. You it's may like have a, a little Mexico, but no, do you do. have a bank like owned by Latinos? No, there's not one owned bank owned bank in the United States. Killer Mike is literally trying desperately in order to yeah. get into like, I'm talking about at the scale of Chase. I'm talking about the scale of Bank of America. I'm talking about the scale of Wells Fargo. Like these are the things that are going to get us into a better situation that we should be desperately trying to organize ourselves around. Because as we continue to fight and bicker about race, like those people that are highly organized are going to win out every single time. And I think that's what the doc is saying is that if we're not aligning ourselves together and finding out very deeply and very entrenched, what are the things that we are in commonly fighting for together? And how do we organize ourselves to achieve those things for the long-term effects? Because you're absolutely right. I think, you know, Chris was saying it. Yeah, it is so much easier to align yourselves with whites at the beginning because the short-term effects of that are excellent. And for the Asian community, it wasn't necessarily that they aligned themselves with whites that got themselves the privilege. It's that they were extraordinarily organized and started getting themselves into communities where those dollars were circulating, their businesses were becoming highly stabilized, and they became too big to defeat. We're getting picked off here. And comments like at the LA City Council are only causing a greater level of disparaging like dissidents. What's an easier way of saying it? It's only putting a like a, a, a destroying the bridge of commonality between us instead of finding those bridges. And finding those bridges, while maybe difficult, is exactly what we should be striving to do because without it, we're just gonna continue to have like conversations that are happening about how we're better than black people because that seems to be such an easier conversation to have than, oh my God, the difficulties of the black community and the brown community are so like similar. We should be uniting with one another to support one another. It's also, that becomes a racial situation, again, from an economic situation, 
because it's really the similarity of the middle and the working class communities that should be aligning with one another to work to help one another. And like, that is always gonna be my ultimate argument because until those systemic changes happen, we're just gonna be sitting here arguing about race instead of the economic prosperity of a people. And it goes back to that poem, the Pensamiento Serpiente, you are the other me. Charles, I love you, man, you are the other me. And we will continue to fight and align and figure out how we join each other and the black community to figure out what we need to do. And it's not gonna be an easy task, but it's one worth doing. And that's what I hope everyone takes away from this, especially those people on that city council. Yeah, that's what's up, man, thank you for that. So we'll go into closing thoughts and uh, uh, we'll, Reef, we'll start with you, then we'll uh, the guests will go last. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, first of all, thank you all for, for coming on. Um, it's great to see you all again. You know, hope you you come back, uh, you know, again another time. I, I, I you know, I, I think that the, the idea of coalition building is absolutely important. Um, and I, I don't disagree with having, you know, demands. We've seen plenty of, of revolutionary actions around the world where some people actually knew what they wanted and other people weren't quite sure. And you can imagine even after things got rearranged, who was in the, in the forefront and, and, and dominant in those uh, type of situations. Um, secondly, the anti-blackness, as, as we've all said, is universal. You know, whether it's uh, in Asia, whether it's in Africa, whether it's Europe, whether it's North South America, um, you know, that is a, a consistent, consistent theme that uh, Europe and America is, has said, like, hey, let me let me export this even more. And we've talked about this and America exports weapons of mass destruction and language of mass destruction. Like that is what they that's what they export and they continue to, to do so. And then finally, I would say, like, you know, I, I think some things are extremely complicated, um, but I, I've, I've seen too many times where there are so many things that Black people are doing, but the narrative gets, that gets told and, and repeated is that they're not doing anything or that they don't have any uh, uh, spaces that are, are Black and beautiful and, and progressive and working, um, and they are. And when you look at that in addition to the history that they are doing it under, the conditions that they've had to do it under, people are still learning from what we've done in order for them to accelerate what they want. And I, I don't think we should forget that. And I think it's very easy because of the narrative, because of the water um, that I spoke about earlier, where that gets disparaged and it's almost like, oh yeah, black folks aren't doing anything and, and they, they are not coming together. And, and I, I've seen the exact opposite throughout my life. And because of the conditions, they're doing it despite that, despite that. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I would say. Appreciate that, Reef. Um, Chris. Um, so where I agree with Charles, uh, the double C, the Charles Cole, um, is that we do need an agenda that we, uh, that we push relentlessly. And I have said this, the same thing that Charles is saying tonight. So, you know, I'm, I'm taking kind of a two-sided approach to this. I've said that our organizations can do a better job of aligning their resources, their agendas, their budgets, their staffing. There's no reason why the Urban League, the NAACP, the, you know, the Black conventions and religion and, you know, the various uh, Jack and Jill's of the world, all the organizations that we have should be coming together in some sort of Congress-like fashion year after year. 
and having a set of things that they ask for and they demand. We have a, you know, there's an association of black mayors, for instance, uh, which would be really important to make sure that all of our, the, the uh, uh, Congressional Black Caucus, they all should be in Congress with each other year over year developing a black forward agenda, right? Because especially as, as uh, our numbers are not what they should be. So that part I would agree on. The part that I did disagree on was that we don't have places where we have the stronghold. And I would ask people, I found uh, the link that I was looking for. I'd ask people to just Google, there's a Brookings article called The Rise of Black Majority Cities, Migration Patterns since 1970 Created New Majorities in the U.S. Cities. So there uh, um, are a large number of black majority cities. Um, within these places, it says, often beset by white flight, home devaluation, uh, which totals $156 billion or whatnot. They've been under fight of gentrification, merger, annexation, bankruptcy, de-annexation. So it's not like we don't have these, these places where we are the stronghold. Um, it is that when you do have those places, things like Jackson, Mississippi happens, where the state, the white state, actually treats you differently than everybody else and actually does uh, really ill things to your your prosperity, like poisoning your water, for instance. Um, and it says, you know, in this article, it says, yet black majority cities have assets worth building upon, investing in and fighting for. Black majority neighborhoods hold $609 billion in owner-occupied housing assets and are home to approximately 10,000 schools and over 3 million businesses, according to their, their analysis at, at the Brookings Report. So we have something. We have mayors. We have whole cities. Don't, we don't need a Korea town. We've got whole ass places and many of them are doing better than others. Uh, and it's something worth building on. So I, I, I want to, I want to honor a couple of things. One to say that we need, we do need a common agenda and we need to do better about demanding things and having a common agenda Two, we do have to be honest and take stock of what we actually do have right now. Cause we can't talk about ourselves as if we don't have enough. Like we don't have something or we're not doing enough or we're just not asking. And all these other races are doing such a great job of asking what they're at. They're doing a great job of asking for stuff just like we are too. The difference is anti-blackness is real and it's embedded in the systems. The same systems they're asking stuff for, they can get more out of them than we can because uh, anti-blackness is real. Um, when it comes to this black brown thing, the thing that we talked about tonight, I hope and pray for us to for there to be a black and brown my bottom line on it is the racial bargain that is going to pull some of them off uh, for the, you know, to give them probationary white status is going to be very alluring and many of them are going to take it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Charles. Yeah. Um, I would just say, man, uh, one, thank you. Uh, oh, and David for, Oh, can you put uh, David back in the thing? He had fell out. Um, I appreciate y'all coming and being here, man. Um, I think that, um, yeah, I appreciate the conversation. I think it, it, it I think it should be a tough conversation. I think that, you know, and, and what I would just say is my 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 bar isn't what other races is doing. It's not simply Koreatown or Chinatown. It is that I'm holding us to like, I think that we have we we can be great in these places. And I know that we have, you know, that we had Oklahoma. I know that we had things that people kind of tore down. I also know that the Fillmore used to be black and there ain't no black people left. I know Harlem used to be black and there ain't no black people left. I know that they buying up the South side of Chicago and pushing people out. I know that I grew up in Oakland, which used to be a, a, a black majority city and we're all but gone. And I know that there are a lot of black people that got a lot of degrees and that's in fraternities and sororities and that got power and I got a whole bunch of shit and don't fuck with, and don't fuck with poor black people. 
Like I know this and I, and I, which is why I've started to feel even less comfortable in some of those spaces, man. And all I'm saying is, is that what is the thing that's going to make sure that we saving us and that's helping us because we don't have those same bargaining chips or these people are not as interested in bargaining with us around this piece. But like Chris has said, there are places, there are groups that have taken uh, the bait and said, oh, I just got to dog these black folks. I just got to side with you. I just got to file this lawsuit against Harvard and talk about affirmative action so I can be part of like this white power structure. And all I'm going to just say is on that, man, is that I just hold us uh, to a different standard. I, I, I don't care about Nuri. I don't care about those things. I'm not surprised at it. I'm surprised that people are still surprised. I'm surprised that people are hurt by it. I am hoping that we can get the love that we want as black people and that we need at home as black people, that we need amongst our own people. So we stop wanting these governments and these schools and all these systems to love us as opposed to functioning and serving us. And I'm going to stay on that. And, and, and I'm going to always stay on that. And, and I appreciate the, the, the people uh, being able to go there with me. And also in the same, I'm just giving what I got. I, I went to college. I was the first in my family to go. I didn't know shit. My parents didn't know shit. And it cost me a lot of money. It cost me a lot of heartache. And I'm still paying back six figures worth of loans. So I put out a free book. I use the money I get from doing these white shows and doing these other things that we have. And I spend it and give shit away to my own people. And if you want to copy of that, go to the website. I'll post it now. Um, but uh, I do appreciate this conversation. And I think it's a conversation that needs to happen. Uh, until we get where we need to be, we need to continue having these tough conversations. So I appreciate the dialogue. Yes, sir. Uh, um, uh, oh, we'll go to you, and then we'll we'll come to David. Oh, go as hard as you need to go. <laughs> uh, look, I think at the end of the day, I want to acknowledge something that is very difficult for me personally to understand, is that we are having a conversation about race and for all of us on the show, we understand that race has become such a fixture of America and sadly, a fixture of inequity in the world. And yet, for someone like me, it's very difficult for me to have like a full comprehension of like something as very basic as the color of our skin has become a fixture that is separating us. And it, it's insane to me. It's insane that people on LA City Council are digging so deep into that instead of saying to themselves, we have some very serious economic issues. We have some very serious things that we need to do and support people who need support. When it comes to bank loans, when it comes to mortgages, when it comes to housing, when it comes to up, like bringing up our kids and raising up businesses and creating a level of economic stability that doesn't have us scraping, begging, and borrowing. And we're sitting here fighting over the color of each other's skin instead of saying, oh my God, what we should be doing is getting together and bolstering our economic status to create greater stability for us, for our kids, and for the future of this country. Frankly, it's ludicrously un-American to me to not work towards the betterment of other Americans. It's selfish. So as we get into this posturing of, well, 
this is convenient for me to align ourselves with white people and everybody else. Even that is so basic and dumb to me because the economic scenario of so many white people is also similar to our own. And why aren't we all working together to help each other? It seems so basic and it seems so easy. And yet we continue to have this ongoing fight where we're picking each other off for scraps on the table. And I've got to tell you, much like Dr. Cole, I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of having conversations about something as silly as the other person's skin and why we don't like each other and not having conversations about regardless of our color, we're in an economic situation where we need to help each other out. And the more we fight, the more that we create a better scenario for those that are living it up and allowing us to fight each other. Because then so long as we're fighting, we're not getting together and protesting and fighting those with power who are allowing kids to starve, who are allowing crappy schools to exist, who are allowing black and brown people to not get loans based purely on the color of our skin, not allowing us to get into apartments purely based on the color of our skin. It is sickening to think that there are people in power, especially prominent Latinos who don't think that and don't see that. And it really is a determination, I mean, not determination, it's really indicative of how insanely stupid those people are, how uneducated they are, and how they need to take a basic economics course and understand that we have so much more to gain by working with one another than fighting one another. And that's all I got. Yeah, thank you for that, bro. Appreciate you. Uh, Castillo, close us out, man. All right. Well, thank you again for the invitation to be here. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I don't think any of us are sure about what's going to happen in Los Angeles. I do think the the sitting council members that haven't resigned need need to resign. Uh, number one, so I feel strongly about that. Just so the city can move forward um, and conduct the business that they need to do. Um, it actually seems like the what's happened in the last week is strengthening the coalitions that have existed on the ground, the cross race. Um, cross background coalitions, if you're following it closely. So it might be a silver lining, you know, for people that are actually on the ground doing work, not necessarily, you know, on the dais or in these like secret back rooms doing deals um, to come together and work harder together. I'm um, starting to see some of that in, in Los Angeles. Um, we talk about on, on our show and on your show, we talk, you know, mainly about education. We know that anti-blackness and anti-brownness is, is, uh, is prevalent in in our school systems, in our classrooms, on our yards, in our cafeterias, um, you know, every day for our children have to face that. So I want to take a slightly different um, approach here, addressing, you know, what um, Sharif has called the poison in the water. Um, when I was a teacher, uh, early on in my teaching days, this is going back to like probably 2005, 2006, um, uh, I collaborated with uh, an English teacher. I was teaching history, 11th grade U.S. history, and we collaborated around a particular book called Enrique's Journey. It was a journey of a young boy from Honduras to the United States on, on a train through Mexico, through Central America. These kids ride on trains. They were on the tops of trains, the sides, the under, underbelly of a train. Um, a really harrowing story for you know, a young child traveling alone through Mexico to get to the United States all by himself. Um, and so we read the book. Um, we were talking about immigration. 
And what we did with our students, our students were Latino and they were African-American. We didn't have any white kids. We didn't have any Asian kids. And so what we did is we read the book and most of our Latino kids were from Mexico, not from Central America. Um, and so what we did is we had the students go out and interview members of their families that were that had an immigration experience, cross-border, within the US, et cetera, et cetera. Kids came back with their interviews. We helped them to transcribe them. They eventually turned them into podcasts, which they recorded. Mm. We put music to them. They all, every student did a podcast. Um, and, and we eventually ended up on the radio on KPFA in the Bay Area for this project called the Immigration Project. And it was brilliant. We brought the parents in for a listening night, black parents, brown parents sitting down. We had computers, presentations. And what we found and what the children found and what I found was that there was a common theme in how we got to where we were in Oakland, California, whether it was across a border, on a train, on a plane, through the great migration from the American South to California, to Oakland uh, for work, um, whether it happened, you know, 70 years ago or five years ago, literally crossing the Sonoran Desert with, you know, a child on their back. Um, and the, the point I'm bringing up here is like, we have to address the poison in the water. We have to like figure out what our schools can do, what our teachers can do, you know, what kind of projects can we be working on to, to bring out these stories so that our young people can, can start to see the humanity in one another, right? Starting with the youth. Um, and it was, a, it was an amazing project. We did it for several years and, and we learned a lot. It helped our school to heal a lot. It helped our community to heal. It helped us to come together. And I'm still connected with many of my students and, and they still reference that, stu that, store, that project. I have the podcast still. Um, you know, and so just thinking from a different lens, we talked about politics in LA. Um, we talked about a lot of adult issues. I just wanted us to reground us in, um, in figuring out how we can work to, um, you know, build a society where we can, you know, better understand and recognize the humanity that we all hold, starting with, uh, with children. And that a lot of that work does happen in schools. So, um, I wanted to end it on that note. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for, for, for pulling up, um, my closing thoughts are are, are, are simple. Uh, I want to shout out the Tulane Green Wave. Uh, for the first time in 24 years, they are ranked in the top 25 for their football program. They are the best team in Louisiana football-wise. So shout out to the Tulane Green Wave. Uh, one of my classmates that I grew up with, his son, is a running back for Tulane, so shout them out. Uh, secondly, I want to address some things that are happening on Twitter. You got some folks that are like punching down and like punching way down. I'm talking like uppercuts, like under uppercuts <laughs> in terms of like how folks are uh, addressing uh, parents and uh, and just blaming parents. Right. It's like, yo, parents give us what they give us every day. And our responsibility as educators is to make sure that we receive what they're giving us and that we pour into those students. Nothing else nothing else right you got folks that are running around beating their chest talking about oh 100 percent uh of kids are going to college but what the hell has happened to these kids in the sophomore year of college what's the track record here right are kids coming home or are kids graduating i want you to brag to me about kids that are graduating in four years that came out of your high school right and lastly i can't wait for these damn test scores to come out in new york because i'm telling you <laughs> It is going to be a Twitter war with these folks that are out here beating their chest in one state, knowing in the other state their school need to be closed. And so that is what I have to say about that. 
Ray, Ray, I got one more thing. I forgot. It's going to take five seconds. Can I do sorry, this? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Sharif, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, uh, but the Padres are coming for you. We're going to sweep you in four. So, so good luck. <laughs> I don't know, man. This has been a pretty red October. Y'all about to get some, you know? But I'm, right. Yeah. I think y'all were celebrating so hard after y'all slept, you know, swept the blues that I think it's y'all right. going to be in for a little uh, disappointment. Hey, All right. We'll see. We'll see you. I don't feel like I'm hanging up on y'all, please. San Diego coming to Philly. East Coast. I don't know. I don't know.